I got to tell you, I got, I have a cup, a couple of copies of the Constitution at my house, and I've kind of been reading over it again before it goes extinct. And, uh, you know, some of the things of the Constitution, you read that thing, and you, some of you never forgot. For example, there's this piece from the United States Congress in 1776 on July 4th that reads like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that good? Let me ask you something. Do you believe that all men and women are created equal? Do you believe that? We'll get back to that. I also was reading last week uh, uh, the definition of hospitality. Man, it's good to see you guys. Hospitality. The definition of hospitality is this, making people feel like they're at home when you wish they were, okay? Now, listen, in Jesus' day, hospitality was a big deal. Lots of dinner parties back in Jesus' day, people coming over all the time. And, and so it wasn't unusual at all for Jesus to go to somebody's house after synagogue services for lunch. And a lot of the hosts invited Jesus over with sincere motives. They wanted to hear more about the kingdom, and they wanted to hear more about life with God. But a lot of times his enemies invited him over so they could watch him, so they could criticize him, maybe trap him. And that's what's going on in our text this morning. It's in Luke chapter 14. He's been invited to a dinner party, and there's lots of controversial topics going on during it. Kind of like today, right? Lots of controversy. And and what we're going to do this morning in light of this part of the Constitution that claims that all men are created equal, we're going to learn a lesson from Jesus in this parable or in this story uh, about humility, specifically how your humility and my humility actually affect the people around us. Okay, we're going to read the first six verses together, but I'm going to be in the chapter, so you can pull up on your phone, pull a blue Bible. They're not even in here, are they? Anyway, you can follow along. We're going to read the first six verses together. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and then sent him on his way. Then he asked them all this question. If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull him out? They had nothing to say. They had nothing to say. Well, it's Sunday, and as the rally commercials go, you got to eat. You know what I mean? And it's been the trend, I think, the last couple of decades anyway, that people like to go out to eat after church on Sundays. But this whole COVID thing has slowed this down, and I've noticed a lot of people are eating in their homes again, which is cool. And they're inviting people to their houses too. By the way, do you know what the cannibal served the people who came to his dinner party late? He gave them the cold shoulder. <laughs> we, we got invited over to the Gosses. Uh, a week ago last Saturday night for kind of a get-together for Sarah and David, and it was nice. It was just a, a few of us, and I was surprised they invited me too because they don't like me normally. But anyway, they, I'm just kidding. They had us over, and it was kind of a potluck thing, and I was kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting that the Gilpins brought a bowl of hot dogs to the potluck, and I think that's kind of interesting. Of course, they could have brought worse. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm done, all right? I just want to make sure everybody's awake. Have you ever had a party or, a, you know, a get-together at your house, maybe dinner, and you're sitting around a table and you're talking, maybe family, maybe in friends, and it kind of gets political maybe, or you start talking about some of the hot topics of the day. Pretty soon there's an argument. It gets kind of uncomfortable. That's what's going on at this dinner party. 
A lot of controversial issues going on. A lot of controversial issues in our day. So here's topic number one at this party. Do we have to wear a mask or not? Oh, wait, that's the wrong. Okay, here's the first topic. Uh, what about healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus just asked them straight up, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, the Bible says at this party, it was hosted by a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee, a prominent Pharisee, and also a guy with dropsy showed up at this party. Now, dropsy is what we term edema today. And it's where um, fluids in the body get together and collect at certain places and the body swells up. It's a nasty thing. Now, here's the deal. We don't know if this guy was invited to the party or not. He could have just been a plant. But here's two things we do know. Number one, when you think about it, inviting this guy to the party is heartless. I mean, to use this guy, whether he's invited as a plant or, uh, uh, or just invited to set Jesus up, this is a heartless thing to do. And, and, and number two, the second thing is, they're using this guy as bait. This is terrible. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, you probably do, but you and I are being baited every day with all this controversy because, see, we're Christians, and, and people are baiting us, they're setting us up with our emails and with our Facebook posts and all those kind of things. I think I told you I went golfing with my buddies from Plainfield last weekend. I'm not kidding. We didn't get to the, the, through the first nine holes. Then I got asked these three questions. Well, you're a pastor. What do you think about Black Life Matters? Well, you're a pastor. What do you think about this whole business of taking the vaccine? Well, you're a pastor. What do you think about Trump and wearing a mask? Bait me right off the bat. And I said, guys, you know, I'm here to play golf, you know what I mean? And, and I, I want to go in a different direction. Besides, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we can't be right on either side because we're not getting the truth. We've talked about this so much. I don't care what you're reading. I don't care what you're watching. You're not getting the truth, so might as well not argue your rightness because you can't be right. That's what's going on here. Once again, they thought they had Jesus. I mean, they got him either way. They knew that Jesus couldn't be in the company of a hurting human being without doing something. So if he doesn't do anything because he smells the trap, then they're going to say, see, he's not near as compassionate as you thought he was. But if he does heal the guy, which they fully expect he's going to do, then they're going to say, well, see, he broke the tradition of the elders and healed on the Sabbath. This is genius, man. They got him. What they forgot is this is Jesus. He's supposed to be intimidated. He's supposed to be set up. The Bible says they were careful of watching him. What they forgot to realize is this is him, and he always turns things around. And really, I don't get this anyway, because by the time they ask this question, he's already violated this Sabbath deal at least seven times by the time you get to the Scripture. He's healed lame people. He's cast out demons. He healed the, the, the shriveled hand. Him, him and his disciples were caught picking grains of corn on the Sabbath. And why these jokers thought they needed one more piece of evidence to get against him on this, I don't know. But I do know this, it backfired big time on him. Because Jesus healed this guy in front of everybody. And it was so uncomfortable. Nobody's celebrating it. Nobody knows what to do next. So Jesus does what the host should have done. He bids this guy a farewell. And then talk about an awkward moment. He asked them a question. He said, let me ask you something. What I just did, is that lawful on the Sabbath or not? That's a loaded question. It's like, are you still beating your wife? You know, there's no way to answer this question. He's got them, and they know it. They know that there's no way they could heal anybody anyway. Only Jesus could do that. But he threw it back on their laps. He's saying, gentlemen, I'll ask you the question. Is it lawful for me to do what I did on the Sabbath or not? If they say to him, well, sir, it says in the law that we can't do that, and then they're the heartless ones. 
And if they say, oh, no, 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 you did the right thing, then they broke the law. You can't trap the master. And I'm telling you, folks, you and I should not be trapped by this stuff. We use a gentle, soft word. We let people know that relationships are a whole lot more important than us than being right because we can't buy right anyway. We let people know our motto, I don't know, and you don't know, but God knows. But I can tell you what I do know that's true, and then you start talking about Jesus. That's what we should be doing during this time. Now, the underlying issue really in all this is are men all created equal or not? This, this turns into a worth issue. The question becomes, what is one person's life really worth? That's the question. Regardless of race or gender or political status or wealth, what is one person's life worth, especially a deformed person? Somebody has dropsy or edema or something. What is their life worth? And this is an important question because we're all concerned about worth. We don't even buy a car unless we know what it's worth. We even have a book for that. It's called the Blue Book. Jesus is the Blue Book on the worth of a human being. And he says, how much is a human being worth? Hey, if your ox fell in the well, would you pull it out? That's what I did here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than a sparrow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. In other words, if you want to know how valuable each person's life really is to God, then ask yourself this question. How, how much is a sparrow worth? Not much. Jesus said, You get two for a penny right down the road there. And Mary Poppins said, You can feed them for toughens a bag. Jesus says, here's the deal. When you're talking about God's kingdom, even a sparrow has more worth than you could possibly imagine. God feeds them. He gives them trees and twigs to build nests in, gives them air to fly around in, gives them little female sparrows so they don't have to be alone. And none of this happens by accident. It's all set up by God, and he keeps a running inventory of the birds. No bird drops to the ground that God doesn't know it and care about it. Now, based on that, you've got to ask the question, what are lives worth to God? Jesus says, you have no idea how much you're worth. It's huge. This becomes uh, really a matter of, you know, it's, it's the issue when you care for something, you take care of the details. You know, you pay attention to details. Like, like when we have a baby, people say, well, how's the baby? Is it healthy? All ten fingers and toes. You'll be telling people that. Well, they got all ten fingers and toes, you know, like that's it. Like, you know, that's minimal parenting right there. That's setting the bar pretty low. They got ten fingers and ten toes. And we notice that. If they come home from school without them, that, you know, we're on top of that. Jesus says, let me tell you something. God's so much farther than that. He doesn't watch your fingers and toes. He's got the very hair on your head numbered and mourns when you lose one. Is that amazing, Annabelle? That's crazy. And listen, he loves color. He loves gray. Who knew? Proverbs 16, 31. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's attained by a righteous life. Anybody in here know who's got gray hair? According to the Bible, when you bump into somebody who has gray hair, you're wandering around in righteousness. Okay, I'm just kidding around. But here's, here's the big deal. This is a powerful lesson for these people. The lesson is this. God's people matter to God, period. He loves them. All men are created equals big stuff. It, it's huge stuff. And I love what Ortberg says here. They tried to trap Jesus. He trapped them. They tried to judge Jesus. He judged them. 
He turned the trap around and let him know. Now, at this point, the host is hoping, boy, I hope the next topic is a little less hot. Turns out it's not. Topic number two, who really matters most? Who's the most important? Verse 7, when he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told him this parable. Now, you talk about bold. This is bold stuff because remember, the pecking order back then, when you got invited to a dinner party, the closer you sat to the host, the more important you were. The guest of honor always sat next to the host. And Jesus watched all these people jockeying position at this party. He says, let me tell you a story. When somebody invites you to a party, why don't you get up out of that honor seat and go sit in the back? Why don't you go sit in the kitchen, Jesus says. Your seating arrangement of this dinner party is all wrong. Somebody's got it messed up. It's all about status and competition. He says it's, it's built on the idea that some people have worth and some people don't have worth. And you guys are the religious leaders. You know better than that. You know that the Bible says, Jesus says, that those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled. You think you're always right? You're in for a big one, let me tell you. <laughs> and those who humble themselves are going to be exalted. Your seating chart is wrong, Jesus says. Look at you. Stop seating people in a way that feeds narcissism and arrogance and superiority. Look what you're doing. The most handsome are sitting here. The, the most wealthy are sitting here. The, the politically correct group that you're using for whatever you're using, they're sitting over here. Jesus said the seating chart is all wrong. And he started changing. He said, you in the front seat right there, why don't you go sit in the kitchen? Sit with the staff a little bit. That'll do your soul good. Give you a proper perspective. And they're embarrassed by this, and they are furious about it, but he doesn't let up. Verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, and you'll be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Because although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Now, last time we looked at this scripture, it's been a long time ago. Some of you were just grinning. I can't see it through your mask today because you thought this was a command from Jesus not to invite your in-laws to dinner. That's not what's going on here, okay? Jesus is saying in the kingdom of God, you don't do things for people to see what you get out of it. In the, in the kingdom of God, you don't use people to control or for political arguments or to try to get your way. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, I want to remind you, all men and women are created equal. In fact, he says, let me tell you this. Next time you throw a party, why don't you invite some poor people? Which wouldn't be completely unheard of. I mean, it's pretty uncommon, but at least if they invited a poor person, they could get a little recognition. Look who invited. But when he asked them to invite poor, crippled, blind, and lame people, that's a whole different story. You've got to remember the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees, they thought God demanded everything to be perfect and whole. And so anything with the defect wasn't allowed in the temple, and anything with the defect wasn't allowed in their homes. And so for Jesus to deliberately ask this Pharisee to invite a deformed human being into his party was a slap in the face because what he's actually saying to this guy is, I'm going to tell you something, mister. This guy's every bit made in the image of God as you are. This guy is loved by God every bit as much as you are. And if you love God the way you say you love God, you'd invite him to your party. As it turns out, this all men are created equal business, it's not just a sentimental idea. It's not a personal preference. It's not a political hot topic. And it wasn't invented by our forefathers. 
It's a principle of the kingdom of God. All men and women are created equal. Now, do you believe that? I do too. But why? Why? I mean, some people might argue us because we're different than the animals. We can reason. We have the capacity to love. Uh, we have the capacity to get through suffering. Well, all that sounds good, but the problem is some of us are better at that than others, and so here we're right back to the worth thing again. If you can suffer better, then you're worth more. You know what I'm saying? I guess what I'm trying to remind all of us this, this morning is th- th- there's no way to explain this. There's no way to explain it. This business that we're all created equal and we're all loved by God, you can't argue it, you can't prove it, you can't use it as a political background. It's just true. And the reason it's true is because we're all created by God in the image of God and loved by God beyond our wildest imaginings, all of us. It's crazy amazing. That's why I preach. Years ago, Ashley was two years old and we bought her a stuffed animal. I bought her a stuffed animal. It's one of the ugliest stuffed animals I've ever seen. It was a pink elephant. And she named him Elfinant. And she loved that thing. You couldn't throw it away. We tried. In fact, I, she might still have it. She had it four or five years ago. You still got it? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So things got to be, what, 40 now? No, I'm just kidding around. She was two when I got it. But we washed that thing. We sewed that thing. She did. We, uh, you know, had all manner of bodily fluids from humans to dogs to cats on it. And the older that thing got, the younger it got, the more she loved it. Why? Just because. You know, I was thinking about, uh, we do that as adults too. Uh, We're talking about dogs. Kayla and I were talking about, people say if you're going to be a dog, the cane place is the place to be. Because I love my dog. I don't know why. I I just love them just because. Just because. My house, we have a, it's not a dump, but my house is a 25-year-old modular home that would have fallen apart if it hadn't been for Michelle and Darren fixing it all up last year. But we love that place. We raised our kids there and his family, and we don't love it just because it's better than anybody's house, a better house. No, it's just because. Just because. Bruce Stillman says sometimes the strongest response of the heart is just because. I mean, I'm thinking about my wife this week. I mean, you look at my wife, you've been around my wife. I mean, she's beautiful. I know John Chris says you're not supposed to say that. I don't care. You hear one of her thousand different laughs. And that celebrity smile and those eyes. And, and you, you're around Angie in that sweet spirit, and you've got to be thinking, that's too good to be true. Nobody's like that, but that's who she is. And if you spent, you talk to the staff or kids and meet people around her all the time, it looks too good to be true, but it is true. And here's the crazy thing. She married me. I mean, for 36 years now, people looked at us and say, what's wrong with that picture? How did that happen? I don't know. Just because. Man, am I glad just because. Why does God love us so much? I don't know. Because we're the best there is? Because we're the, you know, the, 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 the race? Or because there's more of us or we're stronger or more intelligent? No, He loves us just because. And when we forget that, if we forget that, then in our minds we start thinking things like, well, He loves us because we must be more special this group must be more special. That group must be more special. No, no, no. It's just because. He just loves us. It's crazy. I got to get us down to the table. There's one more topic at this table, though, real quick. Two minutes. He wants to talk about God's dinner party. 
See, the, the crowd is really rumbling now. And somebody tries to diffuse it, verse 15. One of those at the table with him heard this, and they said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He's trying to say one of those things you say at a party when it gets out of hand, that everybody says, well, at least we can all agree with that, you know. But Jesus says, let me talk to you about the kingdom of God, this feast, and let me tell you who's going to be invited to it. And now the host is going, here we go again. Jesus said there was a rich, noble, prominent man, and he was having a big party, and he invited all these people to come. And all the people you would have expected to come to the party, all the people you would have expected to say yes, said no. And not only did they say no, they said it in a deliberately humiliating way. One of them said, well, I'd like to come, but I just bought some land. I've got to go check it out. Who buys land and then goes check it out? Oh, I bought some oxen, and I've got to go check on them. Who buys an ox without looking at it? Deliberately trying to get. But everybody there knew what Jesus was talking about. Everybody knew Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God has come in me, and I'm about to throw an eternal party. And the ones that everybody thought would say yes to my party, you all have said no. And you've said no to this in a way that's humiliating. And you would expect Jesus to be mad and put the hurts of these people. But instead, he did something completely unexpected. He expanded the guest list. Only Jesus would do that. All right, then, go out into the streets and the alleys and everyone and just... Uh, tell people to come in. Tell everybody they can come. And a servant came back and said, we did that, and, and there's still room. He said, then go back out and make them come in. Now, it's not the same English word where we grab somebody to scuff of the neck and make, it's called, it's about compelling them. I'm, I, I'll remind you of this. You probably remember this. In Jesus' day, if somebody who had a lot of money, a rich nobleman, would invite one of us to their party, we would know something's up. It's too good to be true, and they don't really want me at the party. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And so it would behoove us to decline the invitation or just ignore it completely because we knew it's too good to be true. It'd be kind of like, you know, you come up to a gorgeous woman and you say, you're, you're really something, babe, and she would say, I know, I'm stunning. No, she wouldn't say that. She defi- oh, A better illustration, a, a real good-looking gal comes up to a geek and says, you're a handsome man. Well, he would know something's up here. This is too good to be true. She doesn't really mean that. That's what's going on with these people in Jesus' day. He's inviting us and not just the Jews. Uh, This is too good to be true. He doesn't really mean it. And Jesus said, no, you go out there and make them come in. In other words, you go out and compel them. Let them know this is not too good to be true. I really mean it. Which brings us to this. This is crazy, amazing stuff here. I hope you think about this every week. This This is the dinner party of the kingdom of God right here. And the host is Jesus Christ. And the guest of honor, the top seat, is you. And I know what you're thinking. This is too good to be true. After what I said last week, after what I did last week, after what I posted last week, after what I watched last night, after what I, how I treated my kids, after how I treated my wife, this is too good to be true. It is not. He means it. You say, how in the world could Jesus Christ want me at his table? It's just because. It's because God is love. And you're all invited. So, come to the feast this morning. The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus for you. Too good to be true. It's true. And if you've not been a party to his party, I'm going to sit right here. Come and talk to me about it.